New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. David Bedrick has been called a detective of the human heart and spirit, and I would add a detective of the language of our bodies and how they are speaking to us, not pathologically, but with deep intelligence. Today we'll be talking about weight, diet, shame, and deep hunger. We'll not be talking about the general theory of weight loss. We will not be including the seven steps, phases, or foods that will help guide our diet strategy. Today we'll be exploring an alternative to looking at our bodies through the lens of the brutal forces of cultural bias that highlight personal shaming, that tear down the expression of our intelligence, power, and beauty. Bedrick says, you cannot replace your hunger with just anything. It must be something that has the right taste, that you're really hungry for. Not so you can just lose weight, but so that you can attain your best possible life, so you can live the expression of your nature, your authentic self. David Bedrick is an attorney, educator, and process-oriented psychotherapist. He founded the Santa Fe Institute for Shame-Based Studies, where he teaches and works with individuals from around the world. He's the author of Talking Back to Dr. Phil, Alternatives to Mainstream Psychology. Also, Revisioning Activism, Bringing Depth, Dialogue, and Diversity to Individual and Social Change. And You Can't Judge a Body by Its Cover, 17 Women's Stories of Hunger, Body Shame, and Redemption. Join us for the next hour as we explore tapping into the intelligence of the body and understanding the society that is fixated on thinness and shame's authenticity with our guest, David Bedrick. I'm speaking with David at his home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Stoms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. David, welcome. Thank you, Justine. It's so good to sit with you. Me too. I, I wonder about the reasons that you first thought about writing this book. If you could tell us briefly that story of how you even got into talking about 
weight and body image and all of that and the failure of dieting in women. It's fascinating. Well, I started, I was teaching a class in critical thinking, which I taught a number of times a year for eight years. And I had a unique way of teaching, but at the end of the class, everyone had to write a paper and they could write a paper about any topic. You could write about O.J. Simpson, that was a big topic at that time. This was quite a while ago. You could write about your father. You could write about your fingernails. You can write about the Middle East conflict. But you had to apply certain thinking tools that I would teach. And then a number of women wrote about body shame. They didn't use that word. They said, I want to rethink about how I deal with my body and weight loss and liking myself and not liking myself. Maybe I can use this paper and these tools to rethink that. And then... The next time I taught the class, a number of women did that. And that went on for the first two or three years. And I thought, this is such a common topic. And as a therapist, I thought, I really want to learn more about what's going on that this topic comes up so much. Some of your audience won't be surprised that it comes up so much. I was not as educated yet awakened about that. So I asked a few women, can I interview you and ask you about your paper? And they said, of course, we, you can. And I interviewed them. And I was, wow, the internalized sexism, the pressures to be smaller, the hungers they had that go so far beyond food. This is really deep as a social issue, as an individual psychological issue, as a racial issue when it comes to women of color. Maybe I should do a study. So I put up a piece of paper, Justine, in my class and said, who wants to sign up for a study on weight loss, body shame, changing the way your, your size and shape? I left that open, and 21 people put their name on that paper. How many men? Zero. Now, later, I thought I could have appealed to men in a, by saying something different about their strength and their, how they come off in their body strength and, look, I'm acting like a strong guy. I, I could have, but I didn't think of it. I just laid it out more directly. But that was already telling that... Not that men don't look at their bodies and say, I wish this, I wish that, my arms are this, my belly is this, my face is this as I get older. But the pressure on women and the way the patriarchal gaze makes women focus on, makes it more likely that women will focus on that area. So I did that study. I, I, I recorded those women's uh, interviews, like therapeutic interviews. They were like therapy sessions. Many of them I worked with like three or four times over time. And I said, can I use what you give me to educate, to write? I won't use your name in exchange for this time. So everyone made that legal agreement. Uh, so I have permission to tell the story. Yeah. Oh, how wonderful. And, and as you say, um, the issues were different for men and than women and and you even in in your book you, as one goes through it you can see it's also a cultural thing that's what i gleaned from it that it's it's a systemic thing in in yes. the culture itself but before we talk about that i'd like to talk about the diet industry just yes. what can you say about the 70 billion dollars that are spent annually in mm -hmm. the whole diet industry. So yeah. tell us about this. And mm -hmm. is it effective? <laughs> yeah. I like your laugh about that because we kind of know. It's so 
interesting that a $70 billion industry would survive, thrive, grow so well, given how ineffective it is. But let we talk about that. So the data says 5% of people who do any kind of diet weight loss program sustain that weight loss after a short amount of time. About half, I can't remember if it's 45 or 50%, after six months plus are heavier than they were before they went on the diet program. And the other half, roughly, to make up the 95%, um, are basically back to where they were. So you have 5% effectiveness. Why is, are people reaching to it? It's for a hope of feeling differently about oneself, in addition to health, for sure, but the hope of feeling different from my, oneself. And then the question has to come up with something so ineffective. It'd be like, let's imagine we had a COVID vaccine. And they said, 50% of the time, this will make you more sick than if you got COVID. <laughs> the other 45% of the time, it won't help at all. And 5% of the time, it will help. You would think, that's a really bad vaccine, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Dr. Fauci would be up screaming, don't use this vaccine, right? So the question then is, what's wrong with that system then? What's fundamentally wrong, Justine? Because it's not just a slight error, because it's, it's totally off. And it, what's fundamentally wrong is that it banks on a view of the body that objectifies and in objectification is a shame. Let me see if I can explain that in a, in a short order. Objectification says, we're looking at you through a lens that's going to measure certain things. We're not looking at a lens that I say subjectifies. Subjectifies and say, do you have a story? Is you doing something for a reason? Why are you so hungry for those potato chips? Is there something good about your body? Do you need to be bigger in your life? Are you hungry for something? Are you fighting internalized oppression? All those questions say, you're a subject, you're a you human being, this is your humanity I'm looking at that I want to understand and get to know. But the objectification says, oh, you want to lose weight? Well, that's a problem. And if you're not able to do it, that's more of a problem. And then we're going to fix that problem. We're going to correct that problem. And the diet industry banks on that view that the person, in this case, the woman coming to the diet program is thinking, what's wrong with me? I need to change my body. I'm not beautiful. And all the inner criticism that she has about herself motivating her to do a program, which then backlashes because it's built on, I'm not okay, I need to fix myself, as opposed to, I want to learn about myself. Well, I, I'm thinking, too, that in in all of this, like a diet program will encourage you to be more disciplined, to be more responsible. I'm thinking of the Nancy Reagan uh, thought, just say no, yeah. <laughs> you know, and like uh, mm -hmm. going back to to Dr. Phil, you know, yeah, uh, he, you know that his whole thing is like, yes. okay, just say no, you know, just let it go. No. But you're saying it's it's something else is going on, yeah. and that's what your work is all about. It's yeah. all about going deeper for looking at the longings and well, shame. Yeah. Uh, yeah. the the shame that's there yeah. let's let's talk a bit about shame and yes. and what effect that has on our body image Huge. let me tell a story connected to the no 
right? To just say no and then to connect that to shame. I think that could be a really useful way. It's the first story. My book has a long explanation of what I'm doing, but then it has the stories. And the first story is a woman named Alexis. That's not her real name. And she said to me, my mother was heavy and had problems and diabetic problems. I do also. My grandmother also. I have good reasons to lose weight. And I've been trying for decades to do that unsuccessfully. So I said to her, what do you try to do? And she says, well, I've tried all these different programs. And then she laughs. I said, what's funny? She said, every time I plan to go on a diet, before I even begin the, I'm going to drink more water, eat more lettuce, whatever the thing, I'm eat more health foods. Before that happens, I go to the store and buy sweets. I buy chocolate. And I said, chocolate? And she says, I don't even like chocolate. Now think about how crazy, in, in, in a common way, if we think about it commonly, objectifying, right? That's wrong. That's dumb. What's wrong with you? Stop eating chocolate. Why are you sabotaging yourself? Those are shaming messages. Sound like they might be helpful, but they're not. But I treat her like a subject. I think she's doing something that I don't know what she's doing. Not something wrong, but something that has an intelligence based on her deep experience. So I say to her, let's try an experiment, a little role play. I'm going to tell you you should have lettuce and more water and should go on a diet. And I want you to argue for eating chocolate. And she says, well, why would I do that? That's bad. And I say, but chocolate wins, right? In the end, right? Every diet, <laughs> the chocolate eating wins, the diet strategy loses. She says, okay. Okay, we're, we're right there. She's saying, okay, you've given her this assignment. Let's, let's complete this in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners that I am here with psychotherapist David Bedrick, and he's the author of You Can't Judge a Body by Its Cover, 17 Women's Stories of Hunger, Body Shame, and Redemption. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, davidbedrick.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with psychotherapist David Bedrick, and he's the author of You Can't Judge a Body by Its Cover. And we're talking about uh, a woman who doesn't even like chocolate, but you're asking mm. her to defend liking chocolate or defend getting her buying chocolate. And, and so go, please continue. Yes, because I'm thinking she's not a dumb person, a sabotaging person. She's a 
subjectivity. She's an intelligent human being doing things that we may not know the reasons for, but only shame would say, well, we have a clear opinion. She screwed up. Or she needs to be fixed. She needs to be corrected. So I say to her, you should eat more lettuce. And she says, I like chocolate. I said, and she smiled. I said, great. I said, well, you have to do it this way. You should drink more water. You have to stop eating chocolate. And after a little back and forth, she says, no. And she lights up. I said, what do you mean no? You can't say no to me. I'm the diet program. What about your health? What about your mother? What about your grandmother? And she smiles again and she says, no, I won't do what you say. And I said, that's fascinating. You seem alive when you say no. Tell me about that. And Justine, she gets teary. She says, I never get to say no to anybody. Wow, what an important moment. And then I say to her, if you were a teacher, the guru of no, and you're going to teach, I'm, you're my spiritual teacher teaching me the value of no. I say, tell me the value of no. She says, without no, you don't exist if you can't say no. Now think about how important that no is. You can't exist. Now, shame would never learn that. Objectification would never learn that, that she's practicing. She's giving herself a task, do this. And then she says no, she's practicing saying no. Now let's bring in gender and sexism. How come it's hard for her to say no? This particular woman is a single mom. She feels like she wants to be there for her children, like a mothers are supposed to be, plus a single mother who doesn't have someone else helping their children. She doesn't want to lose her job as the main supporter of her children, so she doesn't want to say no to her boss. She's been socialized, like some women, to not want to say no as an assertiveness, because that's an, an empowerment that not the culture doesn't always like. So now you have this individual story, and now you have the social issues that come in that make her not free easily. Some women are very free, to say that word no in all these different ways, yet no is her way. So if we want to put her on a weight loss program, which she gets to decide to do or not, not the culture, then we better take into account that she has to practice saying no in her life as part of her program, because that's what she's doing. That's her deeper intelligence. And I, I notice that when you work with her and, and how you talked about that, you first of all, you are very curious about when she said, oh, I don't even like chocolate. And so it's like, you notice that. And then as she's talking, you also notice her actual physical body shifts in some way. You yeah. notice a shifting. And in some ways, David, you are being a, a deep, deep witness to her. And maybe she's never been witnessed before on mm -hmm. this level. Can, can you say something about that? That's gorgeous. That's that makes me teary when you say that. That witnessing is so important. And how am I, am I going to witness with a, what's wrong with you? How do we fix you? Or am I going to take deep interest in the being, the humanity of that person that has all kinds of beauties and powers and intelligences in them? And given what you're saying, and some of that gets expressed through the body by her being, yes, I shouldn't eat chocolate. She's, I'm exaggerating that tone. She's down. She's feeling bad about herself versus, no, I'm going to eat chocolate. And she's lit up and she sits up and she brightens up and she smiles and her eyes glow. So that tells me something intelligent is happening. She's not just doing something wrong. So that witnessing is so important. Witnessing, seeing deeply and witnessing the 
inner experience, because some people would say justice, and I think this is very much about justice. Some people would say justice is about witnessing. James Baldwin, probably my favorite writer, said, I'm a witness, I'm bearing witness to the racial struggles of America. But then what I'm trying to do is witness the inside story, what I'm doing, the words that I have in my head, how I'm thinking about myself, what my body is experiencing in its size and its discomforts. How do I see that? Well, I have to ask the person to show it to me in a certain way. That requires a certain kind of attitude and skill set. Yeah. You know, David, I recall being in a circle one time, and it was a circle of friends that we had been getting, been together for quite a few years. And I came to that circle this time, and we would often stay up all night long and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I came to that particular circle, and I was really upset with Michael, my late husband. Mm -hmm. uh, we were going through some stuff, and I spent the entire circle complaining about Michael. Uh -huh. I spent the entire—I said everything in my heart. I was really upset. Mm -hmm. And in this circle, because like you as, as a therapist, um, they knew my inner intelligence, and they just sat there and listened. They listened for almost 24 hours, David, <laughs> I mean, because in the morning I was still going. And bless his heart, Michael never defended himself. He never jumped in and said, no, no, that's not the way it is, Justine. He just, he just listened and listened and listened. And, you know, at the end, David, it all disappeared because mm. of that deep witnessing in a safe place. Yes, with people who trusted my intelligence, and it 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 healed me, David. So I I'm just wanting to underline important. what you are saying. It mm -hmm. is so important that we not make these judgments for each other, and make these assumptions. Um, and that's really what your work is about. When you yeah. say yes. Your, your story makes me want to tell another story from the book. There's a woman who, who in, the, in my study, and Isabella, and she said, like many, I would like to be smaller, I'd like to lose weight. And I said to her, did you gain your weight over time or at a specific time did it happen quickly? Because if I'm witnessing a person's humanity, then they might have a story to tell. And if some women, and it's not a rare occurrence, who gain weight fast and a lot can have a trauma or an abuse moment. Not every time, but it's not the most uncommon event that surrounds that. In fact, Roxane Gay wrote a book called Hunger. It's amazing about her story around her own abuse and her body size. But this woman said to me, yes, it was about two years ago I gained a certain amount of weight per week over a certain amount of months, and I became like 80 pounds, I think she was European, 80 pounds heavier within a couple of months. And I said, what happened during that time? Anything? And she said, a man began to stalk me online and send me these gross, disgusting messages and, and send things to my home implying that he knew where I lived. And I said, that must have been a big moment. And then she told me about her early abuse that got triggered also. So you have an intense, traumatic story building up there. 
And I said to her, tell me what the kinds of things this man told you. Now, why am I saying that? I'm wanting to witness what she's going through. I could stop right there and say, oh my gosh, well, that's terrible. But I want to get to know the details of what she went through. So I said, she told me some things. I don't want to repeat them. They're awful, sexualized, not in the best sense, the language. And she, so she said those words and she said, by the way, my hands are getting numb as we speak. I said, oh, maybe I can help her get in touch with herself so she doesn't. Rub your hands together. Can you feel yourself? Do you feel any strength in your body? Maybe she needed some power because something was happening. She said, I don't know. I can't do those things you're saying, but I know my legs are getting numb also now. Mm. So my idea about getting her strength was wrong. Her, her, witnessing her tells me, David, that doesn't help. You have to know, see, her belief in the intelligence of her system, not my idea. Even my idea is not ill-founded. But she's, so I said to her, you don't feel good about being, you're disappearing. She says, yes. I said, if you could disappear, where would you go? She said, I would go into my bed, put the covers over me. I said, would you like to do that and leave the session? We were in video. Or would you like to imagine that so we can explore that further? Either way is good because I'm tracking her, not me, right? And she says, I can imagine it. I'm in bed, the cover's over me. I said, how does it feel? She says, and this is strong, so people, it's triggering for people. I'm just careful about that. She said, I'm naked. I said, does it feel good to be naked and covered in the bed? She said, no. I said, what would you like to put on? She said, sweatpants and a sweatshirt. I said, go ahead, imagine putting that on. Do you feel better? A little bit, but would make you feel much better. I'm going to put on two more sweatshirts and two more sweatpants in my imagination. Now listen to the intelligence, I get chills thinking of, the, of her body. She's saying, by the way, my body got bigger. I need layers and layers and quilts and three layers of sweat clothes to start feeling safe and well in my life. Now imagine if I objectify her shame her. And I think, oh, you want to lose weight? How come you're not losing weight? What's going on? You seem to be eating a lot of potatoes, she said. Maybe you should stop doing that. I have missed that she's a story that she's living. I have missed that she's saying, my body needs safety. And if you don't help me with the safety problem, not only will you fail at every strategy you give me, but you'll not understand who I am and what the story is that I have to tell and what I'm going to bring forward into the world around telling women, talking to women about violence. Yeah. So in this, David, as this becomes more explicit to her, what, what she's doing, and, and she, she's listening to her body because you are reflecting that and you are calling it intelligent. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a concept, David. Wait a minute. <laughs> this, here she's 80 pounds, uh, carrying 80 pounds more than she'd like, and then she puts on, she's imagining putting on all these sweatshirts, and, and, and yet uh, what will the ultimate outcome be as she starts to realize mm -hmm. what her body is is doing is in this protective way. Yes, it's a great question because there, I don't know what percentage, but many of the women in my study decided to build 
weight loss programs around this intelligence. I'm going to practice saying no and I'm going to change my food or I'm going to take care of my safety. Some of the women said, I think my efforts to lose weight are not ready yet because I don't, I haven't cared about myself enough and I'd like to work on my trauma. I'd like to love myself more. I'd like to tell my story. I'd like to be an activist and speak about what happens to women and trauma and body. Before I make the weight loss goal, maybe I'm a different kind of person. And again, like Roxane Gay in that hunger book, I don't want to leave my own stories because they're also really powerful. She says, I want to tell the story, not a before and after body size story. Roxane Gay says, I want to tell a before and after childhood rape story. And so she becomes a teacher of that. So this woman has teachings in her, an education in her, and a way of caring for her life path. She didn't decide at that point, losing weight is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, I'm here with David Bedrick, and he's the author of You Can't Judge a Body by Its Cover. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with process-oriented psychotherapist David Bedrick, and he is the author of You Can't Judge a Body by Its Cover, 17 Women's Stories of Hunger, Body Shame, and Redemption. And David, um, there was one story that popped out for me that was so vivid, and it really also had to do with systemic racism and and other uh, like systemic shame in fact you talk about like all all the all of the, as we become more aware it's at least a certain part of our culture is becoming more aware of this systemic racism and and the inequality for people uh, black and brown and indigenous people and people of color um, you say you say uh, uh, something about uh, the systemic body shaming factor. That's also like in our culture, and I think that there's one story that really illustrates this. And this is uh, Jasmine who had a dream about uh, a Cadillac car. This was such a great, great one. Thank you. Uh, can you tell us? Yes. Jasmine, so many things I want to say about her. Um, the first thing I want to say in subjectifying her, learning, witnessing who she is, is she said, I asked her, when did you start to think about your body and what was your relationship with it? Because for girls, they have a, an early story or a period of time. And she said, well, in my family, I grew up, it wasn't a big deal. In some African-American families, it's, it is this way. It's not all... She said, it wasn't a big deal to be heavier. She said, but I went out to a playground, I was on a swing, and then some kids started bullying me and teasing me, you're ugly, you're fat, and started saying nasty things. She said, and it was very painful. And one interesting thing about that part of the story, but I want to say more, I said, were those children white or black? 
And then she was like, oh my gosh, those were white kids. She hadn't made that connection because no one had asked her and borne witness to that. But here's the was the most fascinating part of Jasmine's story. And I, I'm going to mention that dream because it's such a good dream. But she, she said to me at one point, there's something I'm shy and awkward to tell you, but I want to tell somebody. I said, okay. She said, I know a lot about race and racism, but a lot of times I'm thinking I would rather be thin and white. She said, isn't that bad? And I think, yes, she's internalized a racist society. We call that internalized oppression, internalized racism and sexism bound together. She said, I'd rather be thin and white. And she said, and I said, yes, it would be, that sounds awful. I would love to remove that thought process from your head, so to speak, if I could. I said, but let's believe in you a little bit. Let's witness that. What would be so good about being thin and white? And she said, then people would open doors for me. Not just literal doors, but doors to opportunities. And then she said something, Justine, which blew my mind. And she said, and by the way, you don't hurt things when they're seen as beautiful. You don't hurt things as, you, as you're seen as beautiful. Yeah. She's, now, she's not saying white people can never get hurt, but she's saying something very important about her subjective experience. When I walk out in the world, it's dangerous. And if I were looking like a different person, fitting a certain kind of mold, then people Now, you're would talking say, from her perspective. When she work, walks out in the world, yes, it's dangerous. Yes, thank you dangerous. for clarifying, yeah. When she yeah. walks out in the world, she's thinking, if I look differently, people would treat me in a way that would be safer. They might not hurt me. I might be walking through a world that's not so dangerous as it is to me. Well, that's a profound inner experience for me, a deep learning that she says. And I said to her, if you were protected, if you were safer, if you were given opportunities, what would come out of you? And Justine, I'm thinking she's going to say, it's my voice, my power, I would stand up to people, etc. And she says, my love. Oh. I have so much love in me. And that's connected to that dream. Her early dream was that she was running away from the police. That means something that polices her. In this situation, that's going to be a white system that says you should be a certain way. And she says, and then I see two different cars, and I could choose one or two to get, make my escape. One is kind of a boring, boxy American car. I can't remember what it was. And the other is this colorful Cadillac. And her dreams, and she says, I picked the, the less colorful boxy car, because it's not dangerous, it's not, it's dangerous, she says, to go around in this colorful, my, my own size, a bigger car, my own colorfulness, it's dangerous to go around that the police will know me, they'll catch me, they'll catch me being a black woman, in this case, having a lot of love that she's expressing freely. So in, in her case, uh, she was really uh, stifling her innate sparkle and love. I mean, it, it was just getting crushed down and her yeah. authenticity. And so many people yeah. will have this in, in the culture that, um, mm -hmm. that they can't be their flamboyant self. They can't, yeah. you know, go out in the world and, mm -hmm. and be noticed in any way. They, they really want to kind of hide out. In fact, there, there are some stories where, where people don't even want to leave the house. Yes. I think that there is a story of a woman who, who 
for uh, 12 years or so, she never left the house. Yeah. I mean, this is extreme. So yes. maybe, maybe how did you work with her? Yeah. I'm thinking of her and another woman that not leaving the house, not wanting to be seen, and specifically not wanting to be seen for one's own size, the size of my sensi- their sensitivity, the size of their power, the size of their intelligence, the size of their voice. It's not just the body size, but the body size stands for those particular things. So that woman actually was had a lot of power in her, and the power manifested very interestingly because you could say if she was more powerful she would leave the house but she didn't want to go out and fake it she didn't want to go out and be a nice person being going to the cafe listening to men acting sweet acting cute she didn't want to do that so in a sense her power says i'm not going to go out and be a false accommodating pretty petite woman in my stature and size but she hadn't yet developed enough power to come out with all of that. But her moving inward, if we think of it as intelligent, it's a, no, I'm not going to play this game anymore. It's a good beginning, better than just going out and faking it. It's a good beginning. Yeah. Better than going out and faking it. It's a beginning. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. So it was, was this woman, the one woman who didn't go out for 12 years, was she able to then start to venture out at some point? She did start to venture out, but it, but it was a slow process and it had a lot to do with supporting her inwardness and going further in first because she had been to some therapist who said, let me help you get from your home to a certain place, you know, down the driveway, down the road. <laughs> and she had done that for years and many times a week working with that. So said, these these therapists were just working with the outer sort of get her out of her house and walking around, but not doing the the deep inner work that 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 you really feel makes the true difference. That's right. They were trying to get her out, and isn't that interesting? I can see why one would want to do that. She wanted that freedom. The world would look better upon that, all those things. But listen, this this is the question I asked her that she had never been asked. What's so good about being in the house? How come that fundamental question? And she said it feels safer to be in the house. This is, again, there's many women who have that kind of impulse. And I said, how could you be even safer? I would go into my room. How would you be in safer? I'd lock myself inside of myself. What's it like when you're locked inside of myself? Then I'm in touch with the stars, she said. So she has a spiritual life forming that if we go take her out, we take her in, through shame, we pull her away from herself. Now we go further in, further in. She gets to know herself more, and when she comes out, she has to come out more as herself, not as someone who knows how to fake it better because she looks psychologically more sound. So for you, David, you're acknowledging the situation rather than going for leapfrogging into some future place that may or may not happen. So you're you're sitting with your clients in the situation that they're in right now, and you're asking questions that really reveal, like you said, well, what's so great about... Um, 
being in the house. And you're not saying that sarcastically. You really want to know. What is great about it? Help me to understand about what it's like living in the four walls of your house. Yes. And then that takes you to a different place, doesn't it? It takes you to a different place. I mean, you came up, you could see that she was, it was a spiritual path for her. I would never have known it. No textbook don't had that in it. Nothing even I would say, oh, every time a weight loss problem happens, it's a spiritual thing. How would I know such a thing unless I treat the person like a subject? This pressure to shrink, to be smaller. You know this, Justine. I know it in different ways as a Jewish person. People know that in their different identities. But the pressure to be smaller in all the different ways, whether it's physically taking up space with your opinions and your ideas, is such a phenomenally powerful thing. I won't make this a long piece, but one woman who grew up being teased about her size, she ended up, she was always big. She was big and strong, physically and other ways. And she ended up going into the military. And in the military, she said that they did something called tape testing. Tape testing means they put a measuring tape around her body, around her her chest, around her belly, around her hips, around her butt, she says. And then they decide if that's too big, independent of whether she can do all the tasks. She says, I could do the running, I could lift these huge truck tires and flip them, whatever. Different. She says, I could do all those things. And they didn't do this to the men, but they tape tested the women and they found that I was too big, so they put me in what she called fat camp. And I said, oh my gosh. And she said, now let me tell you the, the most outrageous details. She said, every night, me and many women would take Preparation H, the stuff that shrinks hemorrhoids, coat my butt and thighs with it, wrap it in saran wrap, so that in the morning it would be shrunken a little bit, in addition to taking different forms of speed and things like that to lose weight. Now that's very specific, that's different than the staying in the house, but you can see the pressure to be smaller and then in a military, in a system that systemically treated women like you shouldn't be too big. Now that's not just physically, she's doing that physically, but she's also in many areas of her life tried to be smaller than she was, not going for certain professions. She said when she first came to me, she was thinking of becoming an emergency medical technician, but is that too much? Am I trying to do too much in my life? And after we worked together, she said, gosh, I'm a big person. I want to do all those things. So it wasn't only the body. It was the whole psychology that many women have. You may not go through those details, the preparation age, but how can I shrink myself? Do I talk too much? Do I apologize to people? Sorry, I shouldn't have said that much. I know. How do I have to shrink myself down? And she just had this incredible physical manifestation of that. She decided weight loss wasn't her big issue, but going for dreams that she had that were bigger was her program. So it's more about that uh, authenticity. It's it, it's beyond losing weight. It's it's a bigger mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. I'm here with David Bedrick. He's a process work uh, psychotherapist and he's the author of You Can't Judge a Body by Its Cover. Mm-hmm. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening mm-hmm. to New Dimensions.
I'm here with David Bedrick, and he's the author of You Can't Judge a Body by Its Cover. And David, what you're really going for is you're looking at, and it's also in the kind of the subtitle of your book, you're looking for the hunger beneath or behind the hunger. Yes. Like there's there's a hunger and we feed ourselves physically and maybe with things that are not as healthy, but it's for a deeper deeper reason. There's something else going on. Can can you describe that? Yeah. There's a woman in the book, her name is Erica, and she said, I know I could lose weight if I stopped doing one thing. I said, what's that? She said, I go out sometimes twice a day and I order Starbucks caramel lattes, not with the skinny milk, with the whole thing, all the calories. She told me at that point how many calories they were. I don't remember. Six, seven, eight hundred a piece, right? And that sometimes she would drive 20 minutes from her home each way to get these things. So, that's a person who really wants something, right? <laughs> Say, well, don't do that. It's probably not going to help because she's willing to get her husband upset with her, with her weight, with not being home, with spending the money on these things when she was a more of a home person, standard, traditional housewife, mother person. So, so she leaves the house to do this and she drinks these things. And I said, so now I'm thinking, Justine, I could either objectify her, that's bad, those are a lot of calories, maybe you could drink one of those or half of those, can you try the skinny milk, whatever we're going to do that says you have a problem. But that's not going to say, I wonder what she's doing, what is she hungry for, what's the intelligence, what's the power behind doing this thing no matter what, even with all the self-criticism and the criticism from her relationship, what keeps her doing that other than she's, something's wrong? What keeps her doing that? So I took, I had a plastic water bottle, and I said, imagine this is a caramel latte. Grab hold of it. So she grabs it on one part, and I grab another part. And I said, I'm going to be a diet program. You shouldn't drink these. And I try to pull it out of her hands, and she pulls back a little bit. And then I pull harder, and she comes right out of her hands. And I said, now, you must want it a little bit more than that because you go and get them. She says, oh, yeah. She said, you would never be able to take that away from me. I said, I bet you not because her diet programs and her self-hatred is not taking it away from her. So I said, grab it with the amount of gusto you really have. So I pull on the water bottle. She pulls on the water bottle. We're smiling. We're back and forth. And I said, you can't have it. She said, I'm not going to let you take it from me. I said, I'm taking it from you. And she says, you can't. And I said, what is it that you won't let me take from you? And then she says, it's my happiness. She says, and then I say to her, so now, now, now I'm somewhere. Now I know that she's hungry for something. I say, what makes you unhappy? She says, I don't want to be a stay-at-home mom, and the, I want to go to school. I want to get an education. I want to go to law school. My relationship is kind of tense and tight around my freedom to do those things. Now, I kept in touch with her, and she changed that relationship. She ended up leaving that marriage. She wouldn't have to. Other people change relationships other ways, but she did. She finished an undergraduate degree. She went and became an attorney. Now, she had a weight loss change. She changed her weight loss and felt really good about herself. But it's not because she said, I'm going to eat this and exercise that. That's good. Please do those things. But the big part of her program was grabbing what she wanted. Otherwise, the Starbucks caramel lattes are a stand-in. 
And some people think, oh, everybody eats for comfort, but it's not, but that's not true. It's not always comfort. She didn't eat for comfort. She eat because, damn it, I want what I want in my life, and I don't have yet the support and courage and inner power to say, I'm going to make that happen. But around the lattes, she experienced it. You can't take what I want from me. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, there was, I don't know if it was her or another one um, who was um, using uh, a strategy of vengeance, you know. <laughs> Do you recall that? That, mm-hmm. that like, she was really rebelling over her inner marriage. So much was being stifled, and he yes. wanted a really clean house, so she would keep it really, really messy. She wouldn't lose yes. weight, and she would just... Yes. Just be um, mm. a bad actor, so to speak, in in the marriage. But right. uh, what would you say? I think that you had some some ideas mm. about this kind of um, vengeance mm. and what it was actually doing for her, the the benefit of it. Yes, some some women like this particular woman you're talking about had a. Screw you, I'll get as big as I want. Now, it's not just as big as I want, it's a screw you aspect also, right? So there's that aspect. And then we could say, well, that's not so good, that's not healthy, we could shame that. I'm not saying vengeance is a good thing, but it can be known and then made useful because in her vengeance, there's a screw you. And then when we investigate, now, does she need a little bit of that? Yes, because something is saying, Shrink yourself, conform to a standard role, a conventional role that's not really you. And many women have a resistance to that. It's not just that I want to be who I am, but nobody's going to tell me, don't even try. Mess with me, you're going to mess with a person who's going to get you back. And a lot of women need some of that. Everybody needs some of that in different ways. But around this issue, women need that because there's an external sexism and an internalized sexism that's constantly putting the woman down saying stay in your role directly stay a mother at home indirectly don't say this don't say that that's too much don't be angry there's so much censure that's going on that sometimes people need a big counter force to say i'm going to come out it may not look so good it may not look so pretty right? Bring into the, the body look. It's not going to look so pretty when I'm myself, because if you put me in a system that's going to try to disempower me, take my freedoms away, take my sovereignty away, make me feel bad about myself regularly, at some point you're going to find a part of me, if, when I'm healthy, that's going to say, don't try it one more time. And many women have that going on when you explore that internalized oppression, how the culture lives inside the, the psyche. Yeah. Right, right. It just reminds me of of the worthy opponent when we mm. uh, we can turn them into our internal allies. Can you come in on that? It's a really important thing. I had a woman, one of the women in the story, she talked about the voices in her head. By the way, 97% of women have violent voices about their bodies every single day. And there's research on that. That's why I'm giving that statistic. But this so woman, that's Inside. Inside internalized, I look in the mirror, look at you, this and that. And she had that strongly. And it's gross what's going on inside her head, but it happens in many women this is going on. And she said what it was like to be her, she'd get up and she'd look in the mirror, ugh, look at you, you're disgusting. I want to say, people, don't take these words in because they're strong. Then she'd get dressed, she'd look in the mirror, you're going to go out like that? No one's going to like that. No one's going to want to care about you. This one, Justine, no one's going to ever love you. 
whoa, <laughs> that's a pretty potent curse almost, right? There's like a, like a spell being cast. No one's ever going to love you. And with her, I said, let me be that critical voice, that patriarchal let me be that voice and see what you do with that. So I started saying things to her. Look at you. You're this. You're that. And I'm repeating some of her words. And she said it was crippling for her, but it made her angry. And I said, let me see you're angry. And then she came out. She's like, don't talk to me like that, and et cetera, et cetera. And then at one point she said, I'm a grown-ass woman. That was what she said. And you don't get to tell me who I am and how I'm going to be. So she actually had that internalized oppression, and the fight with that, as you said, it was a worthy opponent, brought up her power, and she ended up exploring herself, becoming more of an artist in her life, which she had wanted to do. Really, really important to get to know that, to have that voice witnessed back. Whoa! Because when it goes yeah. on inside, this is what shame does when a person has violence going on inside. Shame says, Nothing is really happening. Go on and live your day. You're being brutalized, right? Yeah. <laughs> Constantly. Yeah. It's like being in an abuse scene. Imagine if it was happening outside and somebody was walking. I was, I'm your friend. I'm walking down the street and somebody was walking next to me, Justine, and somebody was saying, look at you, David. Look how ugly you are. Look how disgusting you are. Don't even go on new dimensions. You're an idiot. You would kind of go, David, this is awful. But it happens inside. There's no witness saying, David, that's gross. That person is destroying you. But yet it happens without witnessing. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that um, there was someone, I think it was Lizzo, who is a Grammy uh, winner, uh, yes. musician, and she's a large woman. And I, I believe she was the one that did a video of standing in front of a mirror and showing us how to love ourselves. Uh, so maybe we can um, kind of go out, um, because we only have a, a minute left, uh -huh. if you can go out with with something like like that kind of confirmation. Yeah, that's really touching to me. There's so much, there's a good movement around body positivity that's also helping people internalize because of groups and movements a different view of themselves because the culture is so saturated with the patriarchal gaze. Not everyone I know will agree with that, that many people, in this case women, black women, white women, need something that says, you're beautiful. I see that in you. And to cultivate that eye, when we look in the mirror, when we think about ourselves, even to say to oneself, I don't know if I fully believe this yet, but what would it be like for me to say, I'm a beautiful, powerful, intelligent woman. Even to say it shyly, to say it out loud, can touch the body, can touch the cells that know what's happening. Oh, David, we, we could go mm. on and on. Thank you so much mm. for being with us today. Mm. So welcome. Thank you, Justine, for the opportunity to talk to you and your audience here. I've been speaking with process-oriented psychotherapist David Bedrick. He is the author of You Can't Judge a Body by Its Cover, 17 Women's Stories of Hunger, Body Shame, and Redemption. To know more about his work, go to his website, David Bedrick. Dot com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions.
This is program number 3,726. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.